Welcome to season two of The Unforgiving 60 with your hosts, Ben Pronk and Tim Curtis. Two ex-SAS guys armed with MBAs. In this show, Ben and Tim seek out people leading lives less ordinary and talk with them about how they fill their unforgiving minutes and what helps them go always a little further. And welcome to the Unforgiving 60 podcast. I'm Tim Curtis with my co-host, Ben Pronk. Hi, Tim. <laughs> RV23, Season 2, the year 2020 in review. Pretty quiet year. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, this time last year, we were not expecting a 2020 like we have had. No, as Monty Python said, no one expects the Spanish Inquisition, and mm. that's kind of what the world got uh, over the last 12 months. Yeah, the COVID-19 year, in which we did produce 39 episodes so far in <laughs> season two. <laughs> Are we doing any more? Yeah, we don't finish until the twenty sixth of January. Our oh, season's end that's on Australia. Celebration. Yeah, right. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. <laughs> You're only the co-host. It can't, it can't be that important. Just keep recording until just, someone says stop. I'm just the talent. <laughs> you do all the admin. The writer. Yeah, yeah, I want a bowl of je- black jelly beans, but just with one pink jelly bean. You're not precious at all. <laughs> no. So COVID nineteen. Um, descended upon us pretty early, but not as early as some in Australia. Yeah, look, in Australia, in Western Australia, I mean, we've been ridiculously lucky throughout this whole period, touch wood, up till this point. Um, So, yeah, no, we we got a a bit of a softer start. But it is funny when you look back on this year, the the weird time compression and and what you think happened years ago was actually in March or April – um, but we're actually still travelling. I think I was in Pakistan in February with mm. work. You know, yeah, we were we, still travelling yeah, well we into got, the month. got through five countries and before that cloak of COVID descended upon us. Mm. So we actually started the year with great velocity. Yeah. And then it pulled up abruptly, the international travel. And we sort of joke on our consultancy side of things, um, the vast majority of our, our business was international. mm domestic mm-hmm. travel mm. and a lot in oil and gas as well all of which basically uh, screeched to a halt in a in about that march april period yeah and it's been interesting working with clients in our crisis management business assisting them navigate this complexity of covid19 and prepare for second waves if indeed second waves come and one of the interesting things is banking finance insurance client insurance client of ours they're CEO said um, he had to turn to his team and say, forget everything you mm-hmm. have ever learned about business continuity. This is so novel, it requires unique thinking. Mm. So don't go to the textbook. Don't look for an answer in the binder. We've got to work the problem. Which is, a, I reckon, a, a wonderful metaphor for so many of these leadership challenges in general that... You know, there's a lot to be learnt from history. Plans are fantastic, but I love your saying there are common bases for change. A, a lot of these things, we need to be looking at them as novel problem, uh, problems, no matter how similar they look to, to things we've encountered before, and work that exact problem, the old NASA quote. Mm. Now, actually, we started the year probably appropriately with McNevin um, fighting <laughs> the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> and in many ways, it does yeah. feel like the whole year we've been holding at arm's length the zombie apocalypse. Mm. 
Yeah, and again, I reiterate how ridiculously lucky and relatively unscathed we've been here in in Western Australia, to the point where it almost seems surreal when we're hearing these statistics from different parts of the world and um, incredibly powerful uh, meme circulating recently about, you know, the the single biggest loss of life in US history or, or days with the single biggest loss of life. Uh, all the way from Civil War battles through to Pearl Harbor and 9-11. And then last Thursday, Mm. Wednesday before last, Mm. Friday, you know, just the incredible toll, human toll that it's taking uh, in places like the United States. Um, Sobering. Mm, And the challenges of leadership as well. I think there would be many leaders Mm. that reflect on 2020 as, I mean, a watershed year for their own styles no doubt they learned a lot about themselves, either rising to the occasion or not. What did Churchill say? Never waste a good crisis. Yeah. And um, that's been interesting to watch. Yeah, and, and right up till this present point, as, as New South Wales sort of deliberates with lockdown decisions over the Christmas period, which is obviously pretty sensitive. Mm. What else has happened this year outside of 39 episodes? And we have already reflected on those, but they've been amazing and inspiring once again for season two mm. i tell you what hasn't happened we don't <laughs> seem to have gotten any better at zoom <laughs> despite like the rest of the world sort of spending countless hours on it it still starts with a have you got me yeah can you hear me yeah well that's universal but definitely highly applicable to us yeah the other thing we haven't got any better at is podcasting <laughs> <laughs> recently forgot to press the record button yeah, yeah. And that was a first. That was novel. Yeah, that was novel. Yeah. Maybe yeah. we're getting complacent. I mean, just, a, just a good old-fashioned buddy check. That'd be good. You got any buddies? <laughs> <laughs> Clearly none in this studio. But no, it has been an amazing year uh, for us, sort of personally and professionally. As I mentioned, a whole bunch of our uh, business sort of evaporated literally in a, a period of weeks. Um if I was younger and cooler, I'd say that that forced us to pivot. Mm-hmm. But I think we just sort of um, yeah, fought to, to find sort of relevance, closer work to home, and also to see what the need was and uh, encouragingly um, having the, the sort of work in leadership and resilience areas, which have clearly come to the fore over this period, um, has been a, a really interesting area for us to develop in um, over the last few months. Mm. And uh, forced us to do things that maybe we wouldn't have had time to do otherwise. Uh, we're not doing so much travel, which was great because mm. we didn't have that dead time. You know, two airports in the transfer, seeing an airport lounge and travelling. So we're able to optimise that time a bit better. Yeah, and it was probably a confluence of factors. The, the fact that we did have um, a, a bit more time at home and for a period there, a bit more time on our hands as, as we sort of recocked a lot of our work online and changed focus. But it did allow us um, to, to capitalise on this increasing interest in this idea of resilience mm. to, to codify the work we've been doing on that over the past number of years in the form of a book. Mm, which is terrifying that we had, I think a couple of chapters or an outline initially and then we wrote a couple of chapters and fielded that to a range of publishers thinking "Mm, we probably won't get a hit back but all four or five from memory came back and wanted the book and 
if nothing else, this year has forced us to research deeply in that topic of resilience and the fact that you've got a <laughs> publishing agreement. You said it's forced us to write the and then write it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the publishing agreement meant that we had to write it hmm. and there were these things called deadlines. Oh, yeah, contracts. Contracts. Ridiculous. Yeah. But um, this has been an incredible experience. This has certainly been one of my highlights for the year. Um, as a bit of a backstory, the the book um, that we've written is, goes by the title of The Resilient Shield, um, and it's co-written by Tim, myself, and my brother, Dan, Dr. Dan Pronk, the average, the average 70, 70 kilo dickhead. dickhead. Um, do you reckon his publishing renown was was instrumental in us getting picked up oh no question i mean he already was an author published published himself yeah, yeah that's right but no it's been a great experience i've i've loved um to your earlier point the fact that it's it's actually forced us back into the books and to to do a little more research on uh this topic that's that's dear to our heart um the genesis of the the concept um was essentially from our own, I guess, lived experience. You know, we'd seen people uh, go through some pretty traumatic experiences um, in in places like combat zones and and otherwise, and just the markedly different outcomes. You know, some of these folk, and and I'd use a guy like Wayne Jones, who has just gone from strength to strength despite being present at, at almost every sort of awful situation you can think of in in uh, military history, and yet other guys sort of fall in a heap and and it really caused us to to start questioning this idea of resilience and what made it up and it was important to us to understand that that it was multifactorial there were a bunch of different things that contributed to it it wasn't just physical strength it wasn't just mental strength um but it also uh really challenged us to find well that's fine but it we need to be focusing on those things you can get better at. What are the aspects of resilience that are modifiable and improvable? Um, and that's pretty much been the crux of the whole body of research and, and the development of the book. A trio of authors. So Never. <laughs> okay, here's... <laughs> For all you budding authors out there, what, what did you say, Tim? Um, it's one-third the effort, triple the difficulty, <laughs> but I hope three times the fun. It, it was definitely three times the fun. Certainly, they say, do not go into business with a good friend or a family member. <laughs> you did both. Also, do not write a book with either of those. But actually, from my own personal perspective, it was a wonderful journey in a whole bunch of different things, but ego in particular mm. and, and just working out... Um, Tim's Eckhart Tolle quote, would you rather be right or at peace? I mean, I was consistently right throughout. <laughs> yeah, I, I had to be at peace because I was so right. <laughs> but yeah, a lot of the editorial things were funny when you when you stepped or when I stepped back from it and thought, am I really doing this to make the book better or just because I like my sentence better? And, and that was interesting mm. uh, for me. But I actually think we overcame that mm. pretty early in the piece. And, and Tim, you had a bit of a watershed a conversation at one point saying I, I had a cry <laughs> metaphoric one well um but no it was excellent just saying hey listen you know the the ultimate thing of this book is a very positive thing let's not tear ourselves to pieces in the the process and i think from that point on it's been is collegiate the right word collegiate's a good word yeah 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 it's been great but it has been funny we we um split lead 
chapter writing, and and so um, each of us would would uh, lead on the writing of a couple of chapters each, and um, we then had to sort of smash three very different narrative voices Styles, to, yeah. together, and um, that was actually a, a pretty fun sort of process when when we look back on it. And then there's this thing called an editor. They they kind of have an opinion just when you think that book can get no better. We don't really need an editor. It was, yeah, absolute polished gem that we handed in in that, that first editorial round. Um, and I think, you know, one of these technical things, you know, the book's called The Resilient Shield. It's all about this model of resilience called The Resilient Shield. I think we introduced the model in about chapter five. <laughs> yeah. and the editor sort of gently suggested, Alex Lloyd, who is absolutely incredible editor, incredible human being, clearly um, amazing podcast host uh, with his Life on the Line series. But um, Alex suggested maybe we should introduce the topic a bit earlier in the book. Mm. And his structural edits were also very good. <laughs> Why did we put that there? It kind of makes no sense. Yeah, yeah. Turns out being an editor is a profession, is a thing. Clearly not his first rodeo. No, no. Just when we thought we knew it all, mm. we were brought, brought back to reality. But really good fun. And um, in fact, the whole uh, the process I've, I've found fascinating in terms of you know the engagement with um, Alex and Pan McMillan incredibly supportive um and you know they are literally doing book writing for dummies with us three but incredibly patient and and you know immediate responses to all our stupid questions Hmm. and we're going to talk a bit more about resilience as we crest into the new year Um, particularly our our model our methodology which has a fair bit of science and academia behind it we do justify it it's not you know we are resilient therefore you, can, you need to be resilient too. Mm. And I think the more I look at it, the more I, I think I've got room for growth. Have, have you taken away throughout this sort of um, research and, you know, we've been using ourselves as guinea pigs for a lot of these different techniques that um, we're, we're reading about? What are, what are your go-tos excellent. that you've, you've really yeah, benefited I mean, we, from? We, we turned the microscope on ourselves and asked, are we practising what we preach? Mm. I mean, are all of these things that... We know now scientifically, academically are proven facets, important parts of resilience. Are we doing them all? Mm. And I was short in a couple of areas. Mm. And so achieving balance, because I think there's a bit of compromise in trying to be resilient. Yeah. Um, you've, you can't just have your 150 kilo deadlift and want to improve that to 200 and then compromise family and friends and you know your professional life. But... You can't spread yourself too thin as well. So it's it's been fascinating. And yes, I do I do think about that as I approach my days and weeks. And importantly also, I think um, in our leadership coaching, looking at what leaders do for themselves, if you're not doing anything for yourself, we would argue you're probably not going to be very effective as a leader in your uh, profession. Mm. And uh, And then how do we counterbalance that to make sure that those leaders are more resilient because wouldn't that be a wonderful thing that every leader leader had a really strong basis of resilience? Mm-hmm. And so contrasting that and using our model and the feedback I've had overwhelmingly has been really positive on some of the insights and thoughts on how they can achieve balance and, and naturally improve their own resilience, be less vulnerable. Yeah, and I, I think the balance one's interesting because it's never that binary and, and mm. people talk about work-life balance and all this sort of garbage and... I think 
what is imp- what is important is that understanding that that there are these different facets, and if you over invest in one particular area for a really long period of time, like a lot of us do, yeah. uh, particularly with work focuses, mm-hmm. um, that you know you run the risk of of developing a weakness in these other areas, your social and you know potentially your own body and and mind sort of aspects, and I think that recognition is a powerful uh, enabler. I mean, it allows you to consciously sprint you know to to specialize for a period of time but if you're keeping in the back of your head that you need to to balance that investment at some point it does allow you or or sort of forces you to to come back into balance Mm. so more on resilience the book um, and the methodology as we crest into the new year i Mm. think end of q1 we start to see pre-sales and then q2 um, calendar year q2 we um, see the book hit the shelves. Yeah, we will be flogging it mercilessly through this <laughs> medium. <so. laughs> um, well, I hope not. I hope it. I hope people see the value in the methodology and and the other important part to it as part of the ecosystem. And we should talk about this is the resilient survey, which I never thought surveys would be that important, but it was your brainchild, and maybe you should explain it. We, it was important for us that this wasn't just, you know, there I was in Afghanistan being resilient and, and so you can as well. And Tim mentioned before, we did a lot of academic research and uh, in developing the model, but we also really wanted to um, try and find a way to codify resilience. So to be able to quantify um, and benchmark, particularly at the start point, you know, where you're at and in how relative strong you, relatively strong you are in different areas of your resilience. And so the the survey that we've developed um, is an amalgamation of a, a bunch of peer-reviewed screens that look at the different facets that we believe make up resilience. Um, and the the intent very much is to, to be able to get that benchmark. But also, as we start collecting data on this, get to a point where ideally we can do um, some some predictive analysis of the statistics that are mm. coming through to, to try and identify that, you know, if you're in a, a certain demographic group, that these are the kind of areas that you you may want to, to look out for in terms of um, uh, potential pitfalls to resilience um, at an individual level. Mm. Yeah, and uh, federal governments recognise that survey. We've got a innovation grant. Um, it will be free. Mm. And the other thing we've got is a alignment with a publicly funded research organisation, a well-known university. And they will be pulling it apart and looking at correlation, causation, what parts are, um, is there consistency in if I do this? Is it more important than, than mm. doing that? And we're fascinated at what might pop out in terms of that detailed and deep analysis. Yeah, and, and this is uh, one of the things I'm most excited about, that you know, this is very much a, a project you know, we're not presenting this thing as a fait complete that, that this is it. We're, we're super excited about collecting that data to develop the model and, and to continuously improve and understand um, how people react and what makes people more resilient. And critically, as I mentioned before, how we can all prove aspects of our lives to increase our resilience. Because I think we've seen some pretty... Well, we've already seen some some um, pretty impactful outcomes of, of the year 2020, and I think we've probably got a bit of a lag effect in terms of some of the mental health outcomes that are likely to come about as a result of the global pandemic. And from my perspective, the more we can do to recognise how we can build our own resilience, then the better. Mm. Yeah, we're looking, looking very much forward to that. And I think about this time last year, we had a 
uh, listener question, what's your passion project? And we talked about the difference between yeah. passion and vanity and whether they could be the same. This has not been a vanity project by a long way. It's been an absolute passion project and yeah. one that even when your nose is in the literature and it's deep and it's heavy going, it's dense, there's value when you extract the goodness from, uh, from it and you're able to put it in that really readable style. Yeah. No, it's exciting. Now, speaking of books, mm. let's turn to proper books. You read anything? <laughs> <laughs> you read anything good lately? Yep, well, we did talk about a holiday reading list, which we did last year as well. We were sitting in a hotel in Canberra. Believe it or not, in those days where you could travel, you could still travel. and you could sit in a hotel room in close proximity to other people hmm. talking about what books we would recommend for holiday reading. In fact, also a question from a listener. Uh, we've read some rippers this year. I, I really have had my nose in a lot of books, been ploughing through them. Um, probably Top three? Uh, I have to go more than three. <laughs> so... Uh, Stealing Fire by Stephen Kotler. Yeah. I've waxed lyrical about that. You're sick of hearing it. Um, I think that is a fascinating insight. And um, uh, Deep Work by Cal Newport. Those two, there's a bit of alignment actually in in finding uh, one's groove, one's flow, one's deep work. Mm. And, uh, and thinking, you know, just how do you get your mind in a place where you are achieving greatness? Um it is Newport that talks about the future workforce and now with this globalised world, everyone can access technology and everyone can access expertise, theoretically, and you've kind of got to be one of those organisations. Mm. Which one Which one are you? Are you going to own the technology or are you going to own the experts? And then he takes us on a journey on how you get to the point of being an absolute expert, whether it's an expert to design the technology mm. or an expert to offer... Um, yeah, insights and knowledge into organisations that's going to make them better. Both of those books are fantastic. Yeah, and it's funny the sort of pattern recognition or the the links that you you draw when you start looking at these sorts of things. This idea of deep work and and real focus um, has a lot of affinity with the broader concepts of mindfulness. You know, just being able to stare at something for a period of time with an an unbroken focus and the benefits that that has not only from a professional output point of view but also from a psychological point of view and even a relationship point of view if you can be there and be present you know insert insert sort of deep work as as um in a, a social context then you know the benefits are profound yes i've started to read 10 percent happier by dan lewis and i don't say that because the book is no good it's been uh, i think i'm 50 60 pages in and it's been really good so far um only because you told me I needed to read it, and I've been saying, "Yeah, yeah." Did you yeah, get the yeah, Dan yeah, Lewis yeah. or the Dan Harris version? Uh, Harry, <laughs> Harry, yeah, yeah good. Dan, uh, Lewis's brother. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah, I'm thinking because Dan did. Was it Dan Lewis that um, wrote Lies Poker? Did he do Lies Poker? Lewis awesome. Carroll wrote <laughs> Alice in Wonderland. I don't know where you're going with Dan Lewis. Um, that is a cracking book. You, you've stolen. Not my fire. You've stolen my thunder. Because I was, just laid it out for you. I introduced you into talking about ten percent happier. I was going to build up to that in a in a top three countdown. But ten ten percent happier is a cracker. And 
in fact. Um, so Dan Harris, ABC journalist in the States, uh, has a bit of an on-air meltdown as a result of uh, some interesting lifestyle choices and starts looking critically at some of these, I guess what he viewed as alternative therapies, meditation, mindfulness, um, sort of Zen lifestyle, and uh, it, just brilliantly written, really good turn of phrase, very uh, realist slash cynical approach to some of these things, but as the name suggests, reckons that they can give you about a 10% edge on life. And I, I love that, that this isn't a silver bullet. Often you read these things and they'll talk about this karmic revelation and how they found Nirvana and all this, and, and that's wonderful, but I found this a much more realistic approach that... Yeah, it's made me about ten percent happier. Which well, his editor wasn't happy with the title. He the editor wanted twenty percent happier, <laughs> double happiness. <laughs> well, you know, we're, we're experienced negotiators with with book editors. They obviously had to whittle that down. Not ten percent, ten percent happier. But that was a cracker, and um, yeah, really, I, I thoroughly recommend that. Not just as an entertaining read or listen if you're into your audio books but also as a very instructive journey into some of the benefits of um, meditation and mindfulness, which is a, a, an area that I'm a massive convert to, and, and certainly all the research we've done on the resilience front says that that's a really important pillar of a, a resilient individual. Oh, let's talk resilience. Beautiful entree into my next one, Victor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. And if you're not a big reader, this is a tiny book, um, but a wonderful book about uh, a man who... Um, found meaning, believe it or not, through the concentration camps in World War II. Um, and very powerfully written, he himself was a psychiatrist, I think from memory. And so he was able to bring a unique view on life in a concentration camp to his mental, his psychological benefit. And the, the absolutely timeless quote from that book, Frankel talks about... Yeah between stimulus and response there is a space and this is probably as close to to the secret of life or the secret of human relationships anyway to be able to break that inextricable link between stimulus and response insert that space so that you're not just constantly knee-jerking your way through life but you approach things in a much more balanced and considered fashion and funny old thing you know you talk about this pattern recognition and the links I mean, a lot of the research on neuroplasticity and the impacts of meditative practices on being able to sort of get your prefrontal cortex a little bit more control over your amygdala so you can insert that space um, between stimulus and response. It's it's amazing how these things link up. And, and Frankel, back in World War II, he, he nailed it so beautifully and succinctly in that quote. He talks about Sunday neurosis in the book. Do you remember that? Sunday yeah. neurosis, that... On Sundays, we have time to think, and it's when people get most depressed because they're most concerned about their life when they have time on the Sunday to think deeply about what they are and are not doing in it. Mm. So he, uh, I think I was trying to look actually some time ago whether there is correlation there with increased self-harm and or suicides on a Sunday. Well, certainly you Sunday see neurosis. holiday periods and you know, Christmas is tragically a, a really bad time for for um, uh, helplines and, and suicide uh, events. But, yeah, there's probably something in that. Although maybe just have more time on a Sunday. Just go and do something on a Sunday. Yeah. Don't sit around and lament your life. Yeah. It's 
very profound advice. <laughs> um, Eddie Yaku, Happiest Man on Earth, similar book. Yeah. I thought I'd just couple those two together. plot arc, yeah. Yep, so Eddie Yaku, 100 years old, I think, this year. Cracked the ton. Cracked the ton, has um, just published his book, quite similar in styles to Viktor Frankl, mm. and again, a super easy read, The Happiest Man on Earth, about his journey through concentration camps. And... Uh, <laughs> That, that cliched phrase, first world problems, when, when we find ourselves complaining about, you know, things that are really inconsequential in the grand scheme of things, but reading books like Man's Search for Meaning and The, the Happiest Man on Earth, just incredibly um, powerful ways of recalibrating what is important and just how lucky we've got it day to day, that if, if these folk who have been through you know, pretty much the worst that humanity could throw at you um, are still able to see an upside and still able to to remain positive about life and about humanity. Um, incredibly inspirational. It makes your own, uh, in our case, very petty um, concerns pale into insignificance. Mm. Courage Under Fire by Dan Kieran, VC, a guest that we've had this year. That's a great read. Really yeah. good. Um, well worth picking that one up for a holiday read. And Harry Moffat. Eleven bats. Eleven bats. Yeah, uh, we'll interview Harry in an upcoming show, and it's a story of combat, SAS, and cricket. His passion for cricket, um, mm. and he took a bat on every one of his operational deployments, and had members of his team and other dignitaries sign them. Yeah, it's a really ripping yarn. I mean, both of those really good holiday reads, aren't they? Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> So, yeah, from um, Harry and Dan to something a little bit different, I read, listened to, um, the audio book of How to Change Your Mind, a book on the the sort of journey of psychedelics and their potential in terms of treatment of a whole bunch of different things, uh, including um, uh, illnesses like PTSD and also their their sort of potential role in the, the creative process. I found it really interesting, really compelling discussion of, of drugs, something I've never sort of had a lot of knowledge of firsthand or otherwise, but uh, I think that I'd, I'd sort of lumped all legal drugs together in, in terms of their impacts, but um, provides a, a really, um, I guess, powerful argument on behalf of some of the, the potential properties mm. of this this group of psychedelic drugs. Exactly, and, and particularly for those that have had post-traumatic stress disorder, there's a lot of fascinating um, science out there now about the benefits of MDMA mm. um, and other... Psilocybin. Psilocybin, yeah. um, naturally, for, uh, naturally occurring uh, substances rather than uh, synthetics that are creating value in people navigating true psychological problems. Mm. And on that same one, Greg Wallace, um, guest of ours from season one, gave me the first two books of Carlos Castaneda, which I'm making my way through. I've finished book one, I'm halfway through book two, which which is interesting, you know, similar themes about how do you open your mind up um, and think about things differently. Um, It has actually been interesting. And my last recommended read is a book called Breath by James Nestor, which talks about the physiology of of breathing, something that we all kind of do. I guess by definition, we all have to do if we're listening to this podcast. But he talks about um, the fact that it's sort of uh, an incredibly underrated um, sort of practice in terms of of doing it mindfully, paying attention, different techniques. And um, 
again, unearths a lot of sort of ancient uh, research and um, explores the, the sort of journeys of some more contemporary, what he calls pulmonauts, mm. so breathing um, sort of explorers, uh, which, which I found really interesting and, and has sort of put me on. I've, I've been uh, doing a bit of Wim Hof breathing recently, which I, I reckon is really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else am I packing? Oh, I read Meditations. I hadn't med- read Emperor Marcus Aurelius's Meditations with um, some preamble narrative. Mm. It's great. Yeah, yeah. Really interesting. And um, also experimented with different drugs to create free thought. Yeah. Um, but yeah, his teachings in Meditations, which he actually wrote for himself, yeah. not for anyone else. It wasn't ever supposed to be published. Um, good. Yeah, it's the sort of thing that you can pick up, put down, pick up, put down. And how timeless is it i mean it's so funny and we or i love um uh the daily stoic ryan Ryan holiday's um excellent blog uh and and daily sort of um mail out but all of these uh and they were they they were not so much teachings from aurelius as as reflections you Mm. know this was Mm. him just codifying stuff for himself but so relevant today and and so much um benefit and and i love the the daily stoic mail out because Mm. it it just sort of prompts you to keep thinking in these ways that you know look at what you can and can't control give away the things you can't you know don't get worked up by the small stuff uh you know virtue is an end in itself there's so much goodness in there that i think is as relevant now as as it was back in the day Ryan Holiday himself says, always carry a book with you and those loved books, the ones that you really drew inspiration from, don't try and preserve them. Scribble in them, mm. you know, make notes of the parts that you want to come back to, dog ear them, hand them over. They should be well-loved, yeah. well-used. And he, I think, keeps a book in his car and in his briefcase and so he's constantly going back to review the parts of the books that he's loved yeah. um, to to find meaning i'm doing the same i'm just journaling mine yeah rather than leaving them in the car but yeah it's and it, good. it does it i mean you uh the the same passage has different meanings at different different stages in your life and in fact in in drawing the threads together between our, our research research on resilience and our own writings and then all the way back to to marcus aurelius's um uh reflections the the practice of journaling is something that i've gotten back into i think both you and i have kept diaries on and off throughout the year mm-hmm. uh, throughout the years but i've definitely come back to this idea of of capturing thoughts and reflections and and probably doing it a little more deliberately these days with the benefit of the research we've done on the resilience to to use it as a reflective and kind of meditative tool um arguably in the same way that that marcus aurelius did although i'd be staggered if anyone's reading my stuff in a couple of centuries' time. A <laughs> couple of weeks' time. Yeah. Uh, calendar year 2021, what do we got to look forward to outside of the book? It's going to consume a little bit of time as we yeah. get that done in the first half of the year. I'm, I'm actually pumped about 21. It's it, Again, I, I preface all of this with how ridiculously lucky we've been by virtue of geography here, but... I wouldn't have wished for this year um, from a personal or professional point of view, but it's prompted a few changes, given us a few opportunities, and I think we'll look back uh, as a new and I, Tim, um, mm. on this year as a, a pretty amazing one from a business side of things. And I, I, I'm looking forward to 
to sort of launching into 2021, as you said, the new venture with the book, um, and a, a lot more focus on resilience in terms of our work, mm. but a whole bunch of different opportunities that are starting to open up. So exciting times. A little bit of travel would be good. Can we do a little bit of travel? I think my wife would like it. <laughs> I did a little bit. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, geez, I look at the, what, we're in 19 countries in 2019. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was probably too much travel. But, I, again, I look back, it seems surreal that, you know, one week we're in sort of Ho Chi Minh City, the next we're in Belgrade, the next we're oh, yeah. in, you know, Gaborone, Botswana. And it, it was an amazing privilege to, to have that. And I I guess because we were busy, we, we took it for granted a little bit. But I, I think certainly as and if travel opens back up again, I'll be less complacent about the amazing opportunities that travel presents. And we hope that 2021 is kind to you. Um, and we, Ben and I, Wish you a happy new year and all the best with your friends and family into 2021. Thanks for listening. See ya. Now to the debrief. We strive for continuous improvement and greatly appreciate your insights and feedback. Also, if you know someone who is living that life less ordinary, please tell us. You can get in touch at debrief at unforgiving60.com. That's debrief at unforgiving60.com. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends and write a review for us on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow and engage with us on social media. Just search for Unforgiving 60 on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Until next episode, keep filling your unforgiving minutes with 60 seconds worth of distance run. See you next time on the Unforgiving 60. Beat